Hey there, dear audience. Uh, I don't know what to call you guys yet. I'm trying to come up with a clever name for my listeners, and eventually you will have something cool, I promise. I'm Jeff Cialetti, and this is the Drinkable Globe podcast. And this episode, we've got a very special guest. It's Rhonda Kalman, who, as you know, co-founded uh, Sam Adams with Jim Cook, Boston Beer Company. And then she left some years later to start her own brand. Uh, she had a brand called Moonshot, which was a caffeinated beer. And now she's gotten into distilling. She opened the Boston Harbor Distillery, which is just in an amazing space. It's uh, in an old Civil War era building. They're open on Saturdays, so if you happen to be in Boston, this is a must-visit place. They have a full bar. You can just go hang out. She offers some insights on some places to drink throughout Boston, and you don't want to miss any of these. You probably want to write some of them down because she has been a part of this scene for decades. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rhonda Kalman. This building is incredible. I mean, how old is the building? And So uh, I always start by telling people where they are. Mm. You're actually um, at the port on Boston Harbor. Mm. It's the southernmost waterfront of Boston. And it's the Neponset section of Dorchester, which is 20% of the population of Boston. It's like our melting pot, all different neighborhoods from all over the world. Mm. It's really an exciting place. And I've always lived within 20 miles of where we're standing my whole life. And so uh, this whole 18-acre parcel was the center of entrepreneurial commerce since the mid-1800s. And it was started by uh, Silas Putnam, who automated the manufacture of the hut-forged horseshoe nail and had government contracts and supplied both sides of the Civil War with horseshoe nails. Oh, wow. So this is one of the original buildings that's left, and across the parking lot is a winery. Yeah, I saw that. It's like it's almost like a little booze district kind of popping up here. Yeah, yeah. These guys next door at the winery, they want to do a brewery too, which oh, wow. would be awesome. But uh, I mean, there's a restaurant on property as well. So it's, it is a hidden gem. Um, you know, people have been driving by the expressway here for decades, and uh, we're, now we're trying to get them to stop. So the seaport is happening, as you know. It's where the tra- World Trade Center is. Mm. And it's just, it's moving this way. So I was a little bit ahead of my time here. But I incorporated the company in 2012. Okay. And we didn't open the doors until 2015. So three years of uh, doing the build out and figuring out what we're going to make and raising the capital and the equipment and all the legal work. And so it's been, so since then, it's we're almost here three years in June. So what you're drinking is um, our Putnam New England single malt. Uh, It's the first whiskey that we ever made here. And we have not released it yet. Uh, We're waiting for our three-year anniversary, which will be in August, September, since we laid this down. Mm. Um, But the inspiration for the mash bill, of course, came from, uh, well, the Scotch doing their single malt. Mm. And for me, this is really what I kind of built the distillery on, is to kind of prove that Americans can make great whiskey too. And my background being in the beer business, the craft beer business, it's really an ingredient story. And so for 30 years there we were selling craft beer and the difference was there was no corn. 
of course everybody here is drinking bourbon which is made with corn but so when I built this I decided at least at this point that I wasn't going to do bourbon because there's a lot of it that I really want to put a stake in the ground for American malt whiskey and um, I'm excited about it we bottled it at a hundred proof mm -hmm. and it has a really uh, nice rich flavor as you can tell it's um, 30% of the grain bill is chocolate roasted malt. Oh. And that's where what that's you're That's where getting. I'm getting some of that, yeah, I'm, I'm getting some of that toastiness. And yeah, and so that's what gives it a little, some of those coffee notes. People are picking up a little cinnamon mm. from it. So um, my master distiller was John Cushow, and when I moved him here from the West Coast, he um, was overlooking the Baker Chocolate Factory, which was America's oldest chocolatier. Mm. And that's what gave him the inspiration for the mash bill. So the collaboration happened, and we're, so we'll be releasing this um, in September. Okay. So I'm very happy to have on the show today Rhonda Kalman. Uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And um, so let, let's talk a little bit how, um, what brought you to distilling. I'm, I'm so glad because this is sort of the trajectory my life has taken too. I used to write more about beer, but now I'm writing a lot more about spirits than I used to. Sam Adams, and then um, you had uh, Moonshot and um, Edison Light and things like that. So you were in beer for a while, and now, now you're in distilling. So tell me how that came to be. Well, honestly, when Jim Cook asked me to help him start a beer company in 1983, mm -hmm. I said, Jim, I don't really drink beer, I drink whiskey, and he promised that he'd make something that I liked, and of course he did. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've spent almost 30 years really at the forefront of craft beer, and it was really exciting. And uh, when New Century Brewing Company um, was really a labor of love. I launched that on the eve of 9-11 and it was like the beginning of a 10-year doom loop. Whatever could go wrong did. But what I didn't realize, I mean I thought Anheuser-Busch was my competition, but it turned out to be the federal government. And I had the first ever beer with caffeine. It was a delicious, you know, craft brewed Pilsner beer with 69 milligrams of natural caffeine. And when my brewmaster, Dr. Joseph Awades, died, he was the world's foremost expert on yeast fermentation. And we had a patent in four countries in the process of adding caffeine to beer and ale. I gave my, you know, I, I, need, I hired another brewing consultant, and he gave my patented process of adding caffeine to beer and ale to Four Loco mm. and Panther Juice. And they ended up, you know, putting out the speedball in a can, I call it, <laughs> yeah. and ended up getting us all shut down. So instead of, the TTB didn't shut us down, it was the FDA who oh. rode herd over caffeine. So um, instead of regulating like parts per million of caffeine to percentage alcohol, you know, having a threshold here, there, they just banned it. So Moonshot was the only thing, along with the other crap in a can, um, that was was banned and I really lost heart of the beer business mm. and um, thought you know what I love whiskey I always have loved whiskey and it's really the evolution of beer it starts off the same way and it's grain and and beautiful so I started looking for a distillery location and now you're sitting in it <laughs> <laughs> I'm here and I'm picking up something they're working back oh, there. It's, it's Do you not want to go in a different room? Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe if we could, because it's, I mean, it's not, it's not drowning you out. It's just, room. it's just, okay, that'd be cool. You know, the theme of um, 
my show is like drinking and travel. So I want to talk a bit about uh, Boston and what's going on here. Um, tell me a little bit about like your Boston, the type of places you like to go. Um, you know, basically I like to encourage people to travel but not be tourists. Take some advice from locals on the things that they like to do. So first of all on that, talk a little about the evolution of, I guess in general, the craft beverage scene because, you know, it was craft beer and um, you said there's a winery here now and, and then you've got the distillery. So how is that sort of evolving? How is Boston evolving into becoming more of like a well-rounded craft beverage city rather than just a beer city? Um, well, it's a good question. I mean, pre-prohibition, uh, there were more rum distilleries in New England than there were breweries. So if that's any indication yeah. of where, you know, where this is going, um, I, I believe there's about 120 breweries in Massachusetts alone. Mm. And then, of course, you've got Vermont and Maine and, um, you know, really big, rich uh, brewing communities. But the distilling scene has taken off for sure. There's 20 of us here in Massachusetts, 20 distilleries, and my guess is there's probably another, if you put all the New England states together, there's probably another 40. Now, are the laws kind of friendly to that? Are they changing? I mean, how are the, the laws in Massachusetts for that? Um, it's, been, it's been a little bit of a challenge because I'm one of three urban distilleries. Mm. Um, so there's Grand 10, and there's Bully Boy, and there's us here at uh, Boston Harbor Distillery, and we are Boston proper. So we have to deal with a lot of politics. Oh, oh yeah. And it's very expensive to do business here. Um, and the laws, and it's probably not different in other communities, but the laws are antiquated. And the amount of paperwork and circles that we have to do just to get things done yeah. is hard. So there's a little bit of a barrier to entry there for people, but you know, people are pushing through it and uh, we're getting things built. So, you know, like Berkshire Mountain, they're out in the Berkshires, he's got a plenty of room mm. and you know, he can grow and expand for us, like that barrel room, the bonded bar barrel storage area is very expensive space for us. Mm. So, you know, but I built this place to really be a center of education for all things booze, uh, mostly of course, whiskey, and we make small batch rum, and we make liqueurs, and we even distill beer. So when people come in here, we're open on Saturdays from 12 to 5, and we have tours going, and it's, it's amazing how many people are showing up, because it is off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's a hidden gem. When people walk in the door, they're amazed. They're just wowed from the first sip to the last sip that they take. And um, I think, you know, I love that we are educating um, people around great craft spirits and we're celebrating American craftsmanship with distilled spirits. So it's a pretty exciting time. I mean, there's, def there's a definite authenticity to going someplace that's off the beaten path. I think it does sort of uh, make it more of a destination. It's not just the type of thing a tourist might just kind of stumble into. You, you sort of have to know that it's here, but at the same time, I think that gives it a lot of street cred though, because you're, you're not near some major tourist thoroughfare or anything like that, you know? It's so, it's, I think it's pretty cool. And, and you, it really is sort of a destination. It's really a, 
a little oasis out here because it's it's just too bad this is not a visual medium we're on because I, I it's everything you would expect you know like this this old brick interior and the really really high ceilings and it's just you know and I, I've been to distilleries of all kinds some are just really just completely functional yeah and they'll have like a little bench that they call a, a tasting room in the corner but I mean, for the most part yeah. but this is something you, you want to spend a little time here if you come on a Saturday and how many how many people you say you would get on an average Saturday uh, probably somewhere between 75 and 100 that's pretty impressive yeah yeah and um I'd love to be open more often, but we just, yeah. we make everything. We hand bottle everything. Mm. Um, you know, we, we sell it and we market it, we promote it, and there's five full-time people. So, yeah. you know, we can't quite do everything we want to do. We also do events here. Um, actually, we're just nominated for Best Wedding Facility. Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. So people are really enjoying the space. And there's, a, you know, there's been a lot of celebrating here. And that's really why I built it. You know, we needed a place to be functional and make stuff. Um, and that's just working out really well. And it's just amazing to watch people come in and really get excited. Mm. You know, they... I feel like 30 years ago when we started, you know, Sam Adams are 35 now, but who's yeah. counting? <laughs> um, people didn't really understand the differences in beer. And that's very similar to what's going on here with whiskey. And there's a whole renaissance that's happening, at least in New England. Um, but people will walk in, oh, you guys make scotch? Or what do you have for Irish whiskey? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Or, geez, I don't like bourbon. You know, but... We don't make any of those things here. So, um, and then of course we always get asked for vodka, yeah. and we we don't make vodka at this point. I call it the alcohol delivery system. I say the exact same. Do you thing. really? I swear to God, I just had, <laughs> I just did a, a podcast interview with um, Gray Whale Gin from California. Oh, nice. And um, somehow we got onto the topic about um, about vodka. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, vodka to me is just an alcohol delivery system. I use those exact same wow. terms. And I've used them before, too. Yeah. So it's just like, I thought, I, <laughs> I guess I'm not that original. With well, it. I guess I'm not either. Then, <laughs> but you and I. No, have. but I never, I never actually heard anybody say that. that yeah. That's just my own theory on, on you know, you're, you're making. And, and again, there are a lot of great vodkas out there. I've got nothing against them. Yeah, right. Um, but I've always felt that when the objective is to make something that doesn't have any flavor or aroma so what what is your what's your end game there like like yeah, exactly. i mean there's some there's some out there now that are starting to push the boundaries a little bit the future of vodka really has to be around unique ingredients probably organic ingredients and that sort of thing and that's what's really going to sell it because the blingy bottle service packaging that nightclubs where you pay a thousand dollars for a bottle of vodka that that's kind of over i think and people are looking for that authentic experience even in vodka yeah. so yeah i mean well what do you what do you make of all the celebrities getting into them you know it's bob dylan and yes. Kevin store and matthew mcconaughey and it's overwhelming really yeah, yeah. If, if that's you know i don't know where that's all going they can raise a hundred million dollars quickly yeah yeah and you know clooney made a billion off of selling the tequila so mm. it's just <laughs> i mean i hope that's not a new standard you know and uh it's you know good for them whatever it's just i want to 
appeal to, you know, I, I talked to Margie over at the ACSA the other day, and it's people that are, are actually distilling stuff that put a stake in the ground, you know, that yeah. have millions of dollars into their distillery where people come and learn and educate and experience and feel and all that versus, you know, a big marketer or mm. a bottler. Like, you know, I've done that before in the beer business. I get it. And but the millions that all of our distillers actually put into a yeah. stake in the ground, they're putting into marketing. And so I'm trying to appeal to those guys to let's take a page out of craft beer. And now they have this little emblem. Yeah, yeah. And I think we need our own little good housekeeping seal of approval that it's certified craft. And whether that makes a difference to people or it doesn't, let's at least give them the facts. Yes, it's you, that we're you really make, doing this stuff. I mean, you you it's their decision, but it, it needs to be an informed decision. Yes, if, like they have people are more, especially millennials now. They want to they want to support the little guy. They want to support local businesses, and they're very suspicious of large companies that try to, you know, position themselves like they're this folksy little distillery somewhere out on a farm and, and it's really not the case you know but I think um, I think a lot of the celebrity stuff though they're getting into it I don't think they're in it for the long haul they get in it because they want to sell it and make a lot of money when they sell it to Diageo or whoever and yeah um, you know they the, the Diageos or the Pernod Ricards of the world will make a deal with them where they have to be the face of the brand for another year or two and and then at that point, like people forget about it once they stop being the face of the brand. Because really, you know, Casamigos is it's a fine tequila, but I think its big selling point was that it was Clooney's tequila, and sure. he doesn't own it anymore. Right. So it's kind of. I mean, Good tequila point. tequila is an incredibly crowded market. Yeah. More so, almost or maybe more so, or at least as much as as vodka is at this point. And I think that at least uh, in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I. It's it's sort of a land grab now, you know. I think it's a lot of the celebrities are just sort of like, I need something else because this A-list celebrity movie star thing isn't going to last forever, and eventually that gravy train ends. And you know, Clooney, um, I mean, Clooney certainly didn't need the money, but <laughs> he never has to work again. You know, he probably he hasn't had to work again for a really long time. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. he's. Um, but you know, I guess you know he and Amal are going to be sending the kids to some really nice colleges. <laughs> Could have done that already, right? Could have done that on her salary. Yeah, I know, really. So, <laughs> no, I mean, good for them. I just, you know, when I see all this going on, it just raises the bar and it confuses the market and it yeah. just makes it even that much more challenging. Yeah. Well, then you get something like like aviation, which you know started out as a craft brand. Um, and then it bounced around, and now Ryan Reynolds owns it, you know? It's like... Yeah, I wish he was over here instead. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. I mean, You I, can make like a Deadpool whiskey. You can partner with there us. There you go. I mean, sure. I, but I, I love, you know, I love being in Boston. I, you know, I, again, born and raised here, and I, I love this city, and I love what it stands for. And we're lucky. I mean, you know, we... We use Boston City water, which comes from the Quabbin Reservoir, which, which is the purest water supply in the country. So we don't have to treat our water or anything. And so all of our 
spirits have this uniquely Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. You know, I just, I love being here. And we're right here on Boston Harbor. So it's really about place, and it's a very important place in history. And you see all of these old maps on the wall. Um, this is the way it was here in 1775 and 1773. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable how Boston has transformed. And it is becoming a world-class city, though we, we close, everybody has to be out by 1.30 in the morning, so I don't know what that means. Um, well, but, nothing, but nothing good ever happens after that. <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> uh, but, you know, education and healthcare and clearly the, the beer scene, you know, this whole New England-style IPA oh, now, yeah, that yeah. is so exciting. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're going to make a difference here with... with with particularly with our whiskeys, but just uh, the different things that we have coming out. We have our distilled beer line that I, I collaborated with Sam Adams on. So that for me is, you know, talk about coming full circle. Um, so that's really exciting too. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of evolution of the Boston drinking scene. You've been in the alcohol business for, you know, 35 years and it's been um 42 years but who's counting (laughs) (laughs) yeah we could work in bars at 15 back oh wow really yeah oh my god yeah Yeah. no really yeah i started working in a bar at 15 years old so let you do it so like so then you, you you've been observing this scene since the 70s then and so tell me how it's evolved, like what it was like then and what it is like now and what are the types of places, what are the places that are sort of the old uh, old standbys that have been around forever that are still great to go and have a drink and tell me some about the newer places that are really, um, that have become part of the scene. Wow, um, boy it has changed a lot, you know, we used to have a lot of fern bars, <laughs> brass and just like New York City, yeah. you know. Like O'Neill's Balloon out there. We had Clark's and, you know, the Black Rose and all of those Irish bars, um, which we still have, and they're still wonderful. And, you're, and the, the Irish bars here are definitely way more authentic than the sort of phony Irish bars you get everywhere else. Yeah. Because you've got, there's a huge Irish population here, and Boston definitely gets the street cred as, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, Chicago, too. I think Chicago and Boston, they really know how to do the Irish bar. I think everywhere else I go, I've got this concept of a fake Irish pub, and I think that's the vast majority. Yeah. Like airports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're airport bars. On the you know, they'll, they'll call it like, I don't know, the the Dubliner or the Blarney or something like that. Yeah, right. Well, we have a lot of the, or, yeah. you know, originals here. In fact, most of the bigger chain, you know, the bigger groups are Irish groups here. Um, and, and frankly, we're not really in many Irish places yet. Now, I opened the doors here in, in 2000. June of 2015, so we're coming up to three years, and we just have not cracked the Irish bars yet. And even you know, back in the day with Sam Adams, it just it took a while because there's so people go there for Irish experience. Yeah. But we need to impart our Boston uh, piece into that. But geez, you know, when I was when right before we started Sam Adams, I was a secretary. Um, and a bartender and waitressing at night, but I would uh, we'd go out in the financial district, 
after work I mean it, happy hour was a thing then you could do it and it was you know half price drinks and ladies drank for free I mean I'd sit there <laughs> with five you know 16 ounce pint glasses you know of cocktails in front of me I mean it was a wild wild west it was awesome and then they cut out happy hour oh. yeah so you know um so that changed the other thing you know it's just there's so many new restaurants and I think that's wonderful. I mean, it's a great time to be a consumer. It's a great time, you know, to love beer and to love cocktails and to love food because there's so many wonderful, wonderful choices. But people forget Boston's a small community. There's, you know, less than a million people who live here. So we get the tourists yeah. and we get the college kids, but, you know, they're, they're drinking their Keystone Light as mm. pre-gaming and, you know, go out for a couple of drinks. So they're... There's just, there's a lot of seats available in Boston. And then you get the third space, like my place. I mean, I'm only open five hours on a Saturday. I don't want to compete with my, my customers, the, the, the other restaurants and bars, but yeah. there's a ton of breweries, you know, and distilleries that you can go to any night of the week and have a fresh beer and a pizza, which means you're not going to another restaurant tours place. So it's, I think there's going to be a shakeout of all kinds mm. coming up, and um, you know. But as long as people are going in and everybody can make a living, that that's awesome. You know, when the yeah. boat the tide comes in, all the boats rise. But it's getting a little out of hand. Um, the tide is coming in pretty fast around here because the sea's rising. But that's another story. Um, so the, you know, the old Irish bars are just always authentic and really fun to go to. It's kind of a state of mind course there's all the great seafood restaurants there's um, a friend of mine opened up Neptune Oyster about 15 years ago mm. in, the, in the north end there's a line out the door it's 42 seats he's only beer and wine and it's just fabulous I mean to get a real great lobster roll in the north end just, there wasn't an opportunity for that and he figured that out um, so you know the celebrity chef thing um, we have the Barbara Lynch Grupo, we have Michael Schlau, um, you know, there's a handful of them, but they don't have that many places anymore. Mm. I kind of see them just focusing on one or two and not having 10 or 12 any, any longer. So that's changing a bit. There's more corporate stuff coming mm. in, you know, unfortunately, but neighborhood restaurants are doing fantastic. So do you have some favorite places, restaurants, um, and or bars, or combinations oh of gosh. both? Like, if, if you could tell me, like, three, what would they be? Well, it depends what you're in the mood for. Look, yeah. I've always loved the Boston Harbor Hotel. Yeah. I mean, it's just rich and fantastic views, and, you know, the Rose Wharf Bar is just classic, almost like rat-packy vintage. Um, that's a you know, relatively new hotel. It's probably 20 years old, but they built it to look like it's been part of the scene over there uh, for years. So I do enjoy going over there for a cocktail. Um, though I don't have my stuff, so I don't go there as much anymore. Mm. <laughs> I don't leave the distillery that much, I'll <laughs> tell you. It's hard to leave this place because we've got great cocktails right here. Um, just trying to think, where else do I love to go? I mean, if you say, okay, there's so many so many great places um dorchester right around the corner here in adams village mm. um there's all kinds of new stuff in lower mills uh, lower mills tavern and uh, there's uh, there's lucy's american 
Grill. There's um, trying to remember the name of it, looking right at it. But anyway, um, so those are fun, and we can, you know, they're so so close. And then you have Quincy Bay here. That see, this part of town sort of looks at the city. Yeah. Um, there's Drink, of course. It's Barbara Lynch Grupo. That's in the Seaport area, which is really a happening place down there. Um, they pride themselves on making fantastic cocktails. There's a city tap that's around the corner. I love the vibe there. It's just comfortable, casual, bustling, people of all ages, great cocktails, great beer, lots of people watching. The Envoy Hotel, Roof Deck, Roof Deck's becoming a big thing, the Colonnade. And I, you know, I sort of gravitate, I don't know why, to some of these hotels because they have the best properties you know, in the city. Um, so that's so that's great, but we uh, we have the Boston the, the the beer works chain, and they love locals, so we 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 support them a lot, and they are in some of the great parts of the city, like in Fenway and uh, Salem and Hingham, and so you can always get uh, a great drink, great beer, and some great food. So what um, what would you say like a sort of a perfect night for you would be would it just be home with a cocktail or would it just would it be out somewhere quiet what would be your sort of perfect evening having a drink maybe before dinner well my perfect evening is right here at the distillery Mm -hmm. having um a band come in (laughs) and sitting here in my own room (laughs) with my own drink and listening to some really great music that to me is my idea of a good time cool uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the one that I'm drinking right now, the single malt, but I mm-hmm. want to talk about the other uh, products you've got. Um, you, one of yours, you did uh, sort of a collaboration with Sam Adams, so kind of getting back to your roots a little bit. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, I want you to try them. Yeah. Um, um, well, I call it the Spirit of Boston. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned John Cusheau as our master distiller before. He actually has been at the forefront of craft distilling for over a decade. He started the spirits division of Rogue from, oh, yeah. from Oregon, of course, with Jack Joyce. And the first thing he did is he turned dead guy ale into dead guy whiskey. Yeah, yeah. And so as we were building this out, and it took longer than I had expected, he's like, you know, you know Jim Cook, why don't you call him up and get some beer from him? So what started off as an experiment for me has really turned into this delicious, award-winning uh, spirit. And it, in order for me, if I wanted to call it a whiskey, I would have had to call it a flavored whiskey. And I just didn't really like that connotation. Yeah. Um, and the other, two, you know, because it has hops, I would have had to call it hop-flavored whiskey mm. or spiced whiskey. Um, so we just call it the spirit of Boston. And what we've done is, uh, right now, we've taken five different Sam Adams varieties. Now they have 65 yeah. beers, and they can make anything. So we have a lot of playing around to do. But we, we actually buy finished beer. So it's gone through their whole process. Um, so we don't have to mash in. We don't have to ferment it. We actually buy it finished. So it's any of those 65 things. So it's not just like you're distilling Boston lager. It's, it's right. Some of the- um, we're actually doing, um, the first one we made was the Merrymaker gingerbread stout. And that one is really about the spices. And then we did the, the New World Trappel, 
which is a Belgian beer, mm. but it really, the distillation process really concentrated the hop character. So that one's really hoppy, and that's about the hops. And then we have, right now, uh, we have 13th Hour Stout and the Double Black Lager. And those drink like more of a malt whiskey. So we've got, you know, so we have all, always, we have three at any given time in the market and available. And if you like more of a malty thing or a hoppy thing or a, a spicy, you can take your pick or, or drink them in flights. Mm. And for me, it's, it's just amazing. And I, I do, I call it the evolution of beer because this is the future of beer. And it's, it's really a beer for whiskey lovers yeah. <laughs> or whiskey, whiskey for beer lovers. lovers. Yeah. And either way you yeah. look at it, it's everything you love about beer without, that, uh, without the volume of water that's turned in, we turn that into alcohol. Mm. So I launched them at 84 Proof, which was the year we started Sam Adams. Oh, that's a nice. So on, on every la label, it says inspired by the treasured connection between the two companies. So it's, you know, it's wonderful for me, but what's better is people are really, really interested and intrigued by it. And the different flavors that you can get that aren't, it, you know, they're not infused or they're just inherent mm. in, 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 the beat, in, in the whiskey. It's just beautiful. So where do you think the consumer taste is going? Like, do you think that it's still going to be very, very whiskey based? Do you think that gin's going to be, I'm starting to see a few things with gin happening here. Um, what do you think a few years down the line is going to be gaining much of the consumer spirit drinking attention? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, I was in Portugal with Amarim Cork in 2015, mm -hmm. and everywhere I went, there were goblets of gin. Oh, yeah, another gin crazy there. Um, and perhaps it's coming this way. It's Gin's easy enough to drink, and yeah. there's people making some nice gins. It's hard to differentiate because it has to be juniper. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... You know, at least it has some unique flavors and properties, but Hendrix has been at it a long time, yeah. you know. But I just read like Three Olives and Beefeater, they're all doing rose gins. So once that starts happening, I don't yeah. know if it's like the blooms off the rose or not. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that single malt, American single malt, is going to have a big, bright future here in America. Yeah. And it's clearly not for everybody. And, and part of the reason is, is that some of the whiskeys that people try are very tailsy or they're very oaky. Um, a lot of the southern whiskeys, even like Texas, there's some barnyard and horse manure and stuff that um, some people just don't like. So, or they've had a you know fireball, and they think that's what whiskey is. Oh. So it goes back to the education, um, and so I think there's going to be a place for all kinds of spirits. I think brandy's really coming on strong. Um, you know, apple brandy's apple jack. It's America. You know, it's very American. So that's what I see going on. Um, you have access some, to some pretty good fruit around here, so you could kind of develop a. Especially an apple brandy. It's yeah, just, I would sort like of a, to. You're sort of in like the apple 
center of America here, or at least one of them, because you could say the Pacific Northwest as well, but New England is definitely known for its apples. Yes, and so that's great. You know, we're doing stuff with our liqueur line, um, which is New England maple syrup, Mm. and uh, it's awesome. I mean, if if you're from New England, you were having maple syrup on your pancakes and your waffles. And you were sticking your finger in the thing, and you were just loving it. And so it's that earthy sweetness mm-hmm. uh, that's indicative to this region. Uh, in our rum, we make Lolly's small batch rum. It's real simple. It's 100% molasses and Boston City water, and it's fantastic. If you ask me, I mean, you, we we have we're playing with some aging stuff in different barrels. But at the end of the day, our white rum is really delicious, and it, it's because of molasses. It's not white sugar. It's not, but these molasses is very New England as well, and you know, hence the molasses flood of 1919 and all that. But um, so that's how we're getting involved with ingredients that uh, I'm not using grains that are grown here. Just because when I started, there really wasn't yeah, a grower yeah, no, that I could go to. And I'm using Breeze malts. I used them when we were brewing. Mm. And they're great uh, and accessible. Um, so we, we do try to, you know, impart more of uh, New England into all of our spirits. Yeah, I think the... the there's starting to be a little bit of a cottage industry of, for lack of a better term, these, these sort of craft malting companies or you know even farms that are growing but i mean i don't think it's gotten to the point yet where you know people are dipping their toe in the water but there's not like a sprawling industry that you can rely completely on regional or local grains exactly yeah and it's risky it's very risky for them so i I can Mm -hmm. understand it and at one time obviously everything was so local but now it's so centralized but i would like it would be interesting to see you're getting some of those grain to glass people but it's few and far between you know, you have to you well, have to you have to want to be like a farmer as well as a distiller to do that. It does add a different level, yeah. and we're you know the urban distilleries we just don't have the space. Yeah. Like we don't have room. Yeah, no. <laughs> Boston isn't known for its farmland. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny horses and horses and whiskey somehow are inextricably linked, right? Yeah. From the images of the rolling hills of Kentucky. And I thought, how the hell am I going to get horses and my whiskey? And there it was right here under this roof was the Putnam Nail Factory. And the logos that I have on there really were right from this guy's, you know, from the Internet from the 1850s. Mm. So it all came together really nice. So what's, what's your distribution at this point? Uh, New England, mm. for the most part. You know, I've stuck my toe in a couple of other markets. Mm. But it, frankly, the model's broken for small brands. I mean, I know distributors and how to work with them but they're very very inundated right now yeah yeah when you're when you're on the road is there anything that you sort of seek out any type of places to drink any type of restaurants you go like you know you were just in vegas for instance or or anytime that you're away from boston like what do you seek out i I seek out those places that want to give people a different experience you know it's the craft quality experience that i'm looking for and I ask all the time, what do you have for local spirits? You know, just like we used to do for beer. And now you can find local beer yeah. everywhere. And, and that makes sense. But I, I just want to open. And I, I even went into a whiskey bar in Boston, like a famous one. And I won't mention the names. And I asked them whether they have for American whiskey. 
And they told me, well, we've got bourbon. I said, well, what else do you have? They said, well, that's what American whiskey is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, and so the education continues. So uh, give us a few things to plug. Tell us where you are on social media and that sort of thing before we close oh, out. Sure. Uh, well, our website's Boston Harbor Distillery, of course. Um, our handle is at Boss Harbor Distill with one L. And we're on Instagram. Sign up on our website for our newsletter that I have to get out today. Mm-hmm. And um, come visit us. More importantly, come visit us. And if you're hearing this podcast and you're not going to be in Boston on a Saturday when we're open, just send me a note. Everything comes right to me. Events or hello at bostonharbordistillery.com and let me know that you're in town. And I'll show you around. And make sure you mention the podcast. That's how you found that out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, usual stuff with me. Follow me, Drinkable Globe on Instagram, Jeff Cialetti on Twitter. And, uh, you know, my book is out, The Drinkable Globe. Uh, you know where to find it, all the usual places. And remember, the world is out there. Drink it up. The Drinkable.